0: Section 99 of Germany, the Netherlands, and Switzerland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World Story, Volume 7 Germany, the Netherlands, and Switzerland. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 99 The Prison of Chillon by Jacob Abbott. Early in the sixteenth century, the Reformation aroused disagreement among the cantons. There was also trouble with the Duke of Savoy because he had seized the pay de Vaux. Bern, however, succeeded in regaining the district. François de Bonivard was one of the most determined opponents of the Duke in his efforts to conquer Geneva. In 1570 he was arrested by followers of the Duke and for six years was a prisoner in the dungeon of the castle of Chillon on Lake Geneva. IT WAS OF HIM THAT BYRON'S POEM, THE PRISONER OF CHILLON, WAS WRITTEN. THE EDITOR They walked on, following their teacher, to the end of the bridge room, where they came to the great castle gates. These were open, too, and they went in. They found themselves in a paved courtyard with towers and battlements and lofty walls all around them. There was a man there, waiting to receive them in charge, and showed them into the dungeons he led the way through a door and thence down a flight of stone steps to a series of subterranean chambers which were very dimly lighted by little windows opening towards the lake the back sides of the rooms consisted of the living rock the front sides were formed of the castle wall that bordered the lake here is the room said the guide where the prisoners who were condemned to death in the castle in former times spent the last night before their execution. That stone was the bed where they had to lie. So saying, the guide pointed to a broad, smooth, and sloping surface of rock, which was formed by the ledge on the back side of the dungeon. The stone was part of the solid ledge and was surrounded with ragged crags, just as they had been left by the excavators in making the dungeon. But whether the smooth and sloping surface of this particular portion of the rock was natural or artificial, that is, whether it had been expressly made so to form a bed for the poor condemned criminal, or whether the rock had accidentally broken into that form by means of some natural fissure, and so had been appropriated by the governor of the castle to that use, the boys could not determine the guide led the boys a little further on to a place where there was a dark recess and pointing up towards the ceiling he said there is where the criminals were wrong up where i point there is a beam built into the rock and from that the rope was suspended they next came to a very large apartment the front side and the back side of it were both curved the back side consisted of a living rock the front side was formed of the outer castle wall, which was built on the rock at the very margin of the water. In the center was a range of seven massive stone columns, placed there to support the arches on which rested the floor of the principal story of the castle above. The roof of this dungeon, of course, was vaulted, the arches and groins being carried over from this range of central pillars towards the wall in front, and towards the solid rock behind. This great dungeon was lighted by means of very small loopholes cut in the wall, high up from the floor. The light from these windows, instead of coming down and shining upon the floor, seemed to go up, and to lose itself in a faint attempt to illuminate the vaulted roof above. The reason was that at the particular hour when the boys made their visit, the beams of the sun which were shown directly from it in the sky were excluded and only those that were reflected upward from the waters of the lake could come in the guide led the boys to one of the central pillars and pointed to an iron ring which was built into the stone he told them that there was the place where one prisoner was confined in the dungeon for 6 years he was chained to that ring by a short chain which enabled him only to walk to and fro a few steps each way about the pillar these steps had worn a place in the rock. After the boys had looked at this pillar, and at the iron ring, and at the place worn on the floor by the footsteps of the prisoner, as long as they wished, they followed the guide on to the end of the dungeon, where they were stopped by the solid rock. Here the guide brought them to a dark and gloomy place in a corner, where by standing a little back they could see all the pillars in a row. AND HE SAID THAT IF THEY WOULD COUNT THEM, THEY WOULD FIND THAT THERE WERE EXACTLY SEVEN. THE BOYS DID SO, AND THEY FOUND THAT THERE WERE SEVEN, BUT THEY DID NOT UNDERSTAND WHY THE NUMBER WAS OF ANY IMPORTANCE. BUT THE TEACHER EXPLAINED IT TO THEM. HE SAID THAT BYRON HAD MENTIONED SEVEN AS THE NUMBER OF THE PILLARS IN HIS POEM, AND THAT MOST PEOPLE WHO HAD READ THE POEM WERE PLEASED TO OBSERVE THE CORRESPONDENCE BETWEEN HIS DESCRIPTION AND THE REALITY. The teacher quoted the lines. They were these. In Chion's dungeons deep and old there are seven columns massy and gray, dim with a dull imprisoned ray, a sunbeam that hath lost its way, and through the crevice and the cleft of the thick wall is fallen and left, creeping o'er the floor so damp like a marsh's meteor lamp when the party came out of the dungeons a young woman took them in charge to show them the apartments above she conducted them up to a broad flight of stone stairs to a massive doorway which led to the principal story of the castle here the boys passed through one after another of several large halls which were formerly used for various purposes when the castle was inhabited but are employed now for the storage of brass cannon and of ammunition belonging to the Swiss government. When the castle was built, the country in which it stands belonged to a neighboring state called Savoy, and it was the Duke of Savoy, who was a sort of king, that built it, and it was he that confined the prisoners in it so cruelly. Many of them were confined there on account of being accused of conspiring against his government. At length, however, THE WAR BROKE OUT BETWEEN SWITZERLAND AND SAVOY, AND THE SWISS WERE VICTORIOUS. THEY BESIEGED THIS CASTLE BY AN ARMY ON THE LAND AND BY A FLEET OF galleys ON THE LAKE, AND IN DUE TIME THEY TOOK IT. THEY LET ALL THE PRISONERS WHOM THEY FOUND THERE GO FREE, AND SINCE THEN THEY HAVE USED THE CASTLE AS A PLACE OF STORAGE FOR ARMS AND AMMUNITION. ONE OF THE HALLS WHICH THE BOYS WENT INTO, THE GUIDE SAID, USED TO BE A SENATE HOUSE, and another was the court room where the prisoners were tried there was a staircase which led from the court room down to the dungeon below where the great black beam was from which they were to be hung the boys however did not pay any great deal of attention to what the guide said about the former uses of these rooms they seemed to be much more interested in the purposes that they were now serving and so went about examining very eagerly the great brass cannon and the ammunition wagons that stood in them at length however they came to something which specially attracted their attention it was a small room which the guide said was an ancient torturing room there was a large wooden post in the centre of the room extending from the floor to the vault above the post was worn and blackened by time and decay and there were various hooks and staples and pulleys attached to it at different heights which the guide said were used for securing the prisoners to the post where they were to be tortured the post itself was burned in many places as if by hot irons the boys saw another place in a room beyond which was in some respects still more dreadful than this it was a place where there was an opening in the floor near the wall of the room THAT LOOKED LIKE A trap DOOR. THERE WAS THE BEGINNING OF A STONE STAIR LEADING DOWN. A SMALL RAILING WAS BUILT ROUND THE OPENING, AS IF TO KEEP PEOPLE FROM FALLING IN. THE BOYS ALL CROWDED ROUND THE RAILING AND LOOKED DOWN. THEY SAW THAT THE STAIR ONLY WENT DOWN THREE STEPS, AND THAT IT CAME TO A SUDDEN END, AND ALL BELOW WAS A DARK AND DISMAL PIT WHICH SEEMED BOTTOMLESS. On looking more intently, however, they could at length see a glimmer of light and hear the rippling of the waves of the lake at a great depth below. The guide said that this was one of the ublieta, that is, a place where men could be destroyed secretly and in such a manner that no one should ever know what became of them. They were conducted to this door and directed to go down. It was dark so that they could only see the first steps of the stair. They would suppose, however, that the stair was continued, and that it would lead them down to some room where they were to go. So they would walk on carefully, feeling for the steps of the stair. But after the third, there would be no more, and they would fall down to a great depth on ragged rocks and be killed. To make it certain that they would be killed by the fall, there were sharp blades, like the ends of scythes, fixed in the rock far below, to cut them in pieces as they fell. When they came out and were getting into the carriage, Mr. Holliday said that it was a very interesting place. "'Yes,' said Mrs. Holliday. "'And we have seen all that Byron speaks of in his poem, except the little island. Where is the little island?' Mr. Holliday pointed out over the water of the lake where a group of three tall trees seemed to be growing directly out of the water, only that there was a little wall around them below. They looked like three flowers growing in a flower-pot set in the water. "'Yes,' said Mrs. Holliday. "'That must certainly be it. It corresponds exactly.' So she repeated the following lines from Byron's poem, which describes the island in the language of one of the prisoners who saw it from his dungeon window and then there was a little isle which in my very face did smile the only one in view a small green isle it seemed no more scarce broader than my dungeon floor but in it there were three tall trees and o'er it blew the mountain breeze and by it there were waters flowing, And on it there were young flowers growing, Of gentle breath and hue. End of section ninety nine. This recording is in the public domain.